Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Pray the news list today. Um, let me just uh, let me just lift up to you um, some concerns around the world. Obviously, we have uh, a concern related to the coronavirus. Let me let me lift up this one. Interesting. So, so sometimes, right? Well, maybe I should rephrase that. God uses stuff. There's a declaration for the day. God uses stuff, and so um, you have to anticipate that God's going to use the coronavirus in ways that. The world would have never anticipated um, God's going to use it in, uh, in I don't know, fostering um, open doors of uh, humanitarian aid to places where we don't even have diplomatic relationships. Um, God's going to use it. I mean, like, God's going to use this. And so I think that we ought to be anticipating that. We ought to be praying for that. We ought to be watching for that to happen. And um, so, yes, I mean, we're we're washing our hands more. Apparently, we're uh, actually like physically laundering our cash money, uh, stuff like that. Like we're doing things to uh, that's not like money laundering in the traditional sense. It's like apparently money laundering in the coronavirus sense. Like apparently we were supposed to be washing it. I didn't know that until last night. All right. So Iran, this is fascinating to me. So the coronavirus is spreading rampantly in Iran. They don't have the kinds of, um, well, because of all of the sanctions that we have against Iran and everybody else has against Iran, they don't have basic medical supplies and they don't have um, the kinds of systems of communication. I mean, there's just lots of things they don't have because our economic sanctions against them have actually been very, very effective to cripple their economy and what their people have access to. And so the coronavirus is spreading rampantly in Iran. And so um, we also know the church is growing really fast in Iran. And so I'm praying ardently for this to be an opportunity for Christians um, to be Christians and to influence their neighbors in ways that are going to be surprising. God has used plagues in the past to give the church an opportunity to uh, to bear witness in places where nobody else would serve the broken and dying. So anyway, so there's just going to be an opportunity. There is going to be an opportunity. It exists. Here's a headline that I read this morning that I found stunning. Iran has freed 54,000 prisoners um, in order to um, combat the spread of the coronavirus in, you know, to prevent it in these overcrowded jails and prisons in Iran. So um, there's been this liberating effect. 54,000 people unjustly held in Iran um, have been released. Okay, I don't know about you, but when Jesus promises to bring release to the captives, that's not a way I anticipated it happening. So how might God choose to use the coronavirus, right? And he's taking what is absolutely a, a consequence of, 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 the, of the fall. I mean, it, no one is saying that the coronavirus is a good thing. I am not saying that. I am saying God is going to use it. We should anticipate that and we should be ready um, to support um, whatever ways it is that God chooses to use this in our own communities and around the world. So I am praying that those 54,000 freed people today 
um, would uh, would have an opportunity that's just unanticipated and unprecedented. All right. First up this morning or next up this morning, I've got Adam Holt from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Adam and I are going to talk about what's on the big screen. We're also going to talk about something that is brewing on small screens um, via social media. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. That's the fun walk-up music for Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to have you again today. Let's talk yes. about, let's start with movies. Um, yeah. So what's uh, what's coming out that we need to know about that you're excited about? Well, let's talk about Onward. And there are things here that are exciting, but they may be exciting in terms of the opportunity that they offer as opposed to what the movie presents itself. So Onward is Pixar's latest movie, and Pixar excels at coming up with concepts that I think, I often think when I see a trailer, are they really going to carry a whole movie with that idea? And this one is definitely in that territory. And uh, I'll stop short of saying that this is a home run. You know, we're not in top tier Pixar territory, but Pixar is a victim of its own success because it had so many out-of-the-park home runs in the first 20 years that it, it's hard to live up to its own legacy. So, okay, enough on the, the meta-historical context here. This movie is about two elves who are brothers, and their name are names are Ian and Barley Lightfoot. And their father has died when Barley was really little, and Ian never knew his father at all. Uh, they live in a once magical land that now has been taken over by technology, which maybe there's some sort of technology critique subtext there. Uh, it's kind of interesting, actually. But when Ian, the younger one, turns 16, his dad has said, you know, give him this this magical staff. And so Ian takes this staff, and they they figure out that they can bring their dad back to life for 24 hours. So Ian gives it a shot, but you know, he doesn't know much about magic. He's never used it before. And he manages to bring back his dad's legs. So <sighs> not his torso, just his legs. So if you've seen the commercial and seen this pair of legs walking around and you can go to pluggedin.com and see the picture of, of the two guys dancing with their dad's legs, that's what's going on here. And the, the bulk of the story is they figure out if they can find another magical crystal, they can power up the staff to bring back the rest of their dad for just a couple of hours by the time they get it figured out. And that's that's really what happens here. So on the the big picture level, great, great story about family, about friendship. And it's really about brotherhood. Even though it's, you know, you think it's about their relationship with their dad, they they really realize the two brothers, Eon and Barley, that this is about their relationship with each other and how much they've taken for granted the goodness of their relationship. So that's all fine and well and good. Love that. Uh, we have a lot of magic here, and there are some people that are going to, you know, hold up a red flag and say, wait a minute, you know, the Bible doesn't have good things to say about bringing people back from the dead, no matter how well-intentioned you might be. So, yeah, I think that's a, a fair critique, although I think we're sort of in a, a Harry Potter-esque 
kind of magical realm here, not a, a particularly occult one. Uh, there's some toilet humor. There's some flirtations with profanity. Uh, and then we have one female policeman who makes a verbal reference to her girlfriend. Uh, it's a, a line that happens so fast that if you're not paying really close attention, you might not even notice it. But I certainly think that it is indicative, as you and I have talked in the past, of where we're going culturally with the issue of LGBTQ relationships. So I don't think any of those things are deal killers, but I think that there are things that parents definitely need to be aware of. All right. So I'm wondering, um, Adam, if the um, the bringing back to life uh, storyline is yeah. an opportunity for a conversation, right, with our kids and with others yes. about the reality of resurrection, about the power yes. of God over life and death, uh, yep. the opportunity to talk about where we go when we die or what happens to us when we die. Like those seem like yep. reasonable, legitimate Christian worldview conversations to be having um, about a movie that is going to be very popular in the culture. No, I think that is absolutely right. I mean, I think sometimes as Christians, I think that we're, we have a level of anxiety about some of the magical stuff that I think, okay, I, I get it, but there's an opportunity here to talk about the deeper issues. And the deeper issue here, and this is really a story about a young man's longing to know his father. And so right. that works Which is on what, right? That multiple works, levels, like, right? You know? Sure. Right. That works on on a human and family level, and it works on on the meta level, the spiritual level as well, because we all have a longing to know our Father, and and sometimes we get so fixated on our longings, we miss the good things that are already around us. Which is the discovery that Ian and Barley make is, yes, their father's gone, and it's tragic, and you know maybe they get a shot at a couple hours with him, but in the big picture, they have each other. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think. There's a huge opportunity to say, well, where do people go when they die? How do we know where they're going? You know, what what can we hope for and what hope does the Christian faith offer that really there's nothing in, in the secular world or even in other religious faiths that that offers quite the same hope? All right. We got to take a quick a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about The Way Back, another movie about which I know nothing but Adam Holtz knows everything, and so we are going to learn <laughs> together. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. All right, Adam, tell me about the way back, yes. and then I really want to move to the conversation about Rhett and Link. So The Way Back is a Ben Affleck movie that is about uh, a man who is a former basketball star, has had a horrible tragedy in his life, is a falling-down, drink-all-the-time alcoholic who, when the basketball coach at his former Catholic high school alma mater has a heart attack, they ask him to come back and be the coach. Uh, so this is an R-rated movie. It feels like a missed opportunity. Uh, it's R-rated mostly for language. That's really the, the biggest issue here. And obviously a lot of drinking, but his drinking is certainly not glorified. It's it's shown to be really, really destructive. Uh, this is a movie that has some sort of, oh, I don't know, 
indirect things to say about faith. We see the faith of some of the people at the Catholic high school, uh, and we see Ben Affleck's character ask a few questions about it. But mostly, this is a redemption story about a guy trying to overcome alcoholism that has a lot of profanity, which I think for a lot of people is going to push it out of bounds. All right. Yeah, totally agree. Okay. So um, social media is a powerful uh, tool. And there are some people on social media who have really uh, significant followings in terms of the numbers of people. And so there is a program on YouTube called Good Mythical Morning, and it has now 16.3 million subscribers. It had 16.2 million subscribers when I first uh, started reading about this. So um, so what these guys uh, are doing that you and I are about to talk about um, actually has created more followers for them, not fewer. <clears throat> so yeah. Rhett, Rhett and Link are the guys who are featured in this YouTube uh, program called Good Mythical Morning. Um, they were once Christians or claimed to be, worked for Campus Crusade for a period of time. And now the reason you and I are talking about them today is not only because they have uh, more than 16 million followers, but because they are actively and intentionally leading people away from Jesus. Tell us what's going on here. Well, you know, these guys have had second thoughts about their faith. And, um, you know, there's an interesting article on the gospelcoalition.org that basically asks the question, is it the arguments themselves that are leading people away from the faith or the personalities of those who have now renounced what they once believed? That is absolutely the right question. Because the arguments themselves, well, we're having second thoughts about young earth and second thoughts about science. And, well, these are arguments that have been out there in the cultural ether for, you know, as long as you and I have been alive. And so is it really the argument that is suddenly carrying weight? No, it's the fact that we live in a personality-driven age and an emotional age. And when people we like embrace or reject a certain belief— impressionable young people who follow them can be influenced by that. Uh, and so I think that's the real story here of, of you know, these guys are influential. They're likable. Um, they have a really popular YouTube program, but they've turned away from the faith. And, you know, you, Scripture is replete with exhortations to press on in our faith, and those wouldn't be there if the opportunity to turn away from our faith wasn't real. You know, I think about the the instruction to to press on to the end, to hold firmly to what we believe. And, um, you know, we live in a world of competing ideas, and these guys have chosen some different ideas. So uh, it's not the end of the world. My kids are not into them. But if I were, you know, if they were, I would say we all have opportunities to think clearly about the ideas that and the the convictions that we're going to embrace. And it makes me sad that they've turned away from that, but I'm not surprised or shocked or particularly bothered by it. Yeah, I um, I had never heard of them um, prior to this uh, deconversion public testimony business. Um, and so I thought that was uh, sort of, I don't know, that either says something about me and what I'm exposed to, or it says something about them and what they're doing and how far their market really reaches. Um, I will say that uh, having, you know, having taken the time to watch one of their, yeah. uh, of their videos, um, my assessment is that they're basically doing 
the skit portion of junior high ministry. Yeah. Without ever making any kind of bridge to, you know, right, right to, to the, the gospel. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's all they're doing every single day. I mean, they're just doing standard junior high ministry skit stuff. Um, yeah. And and they have figured out a way to capitalize on that um, in, you know, in the sort of the social media market uh, that we live in today. Um, fascinating. All right. Um, one other social media thing, and that's what you guys um, have posted at focusonthefamily.com, uh, pluggedin.com, um, entitled What Parents Need to Know About Hoop. What is yes. hoop? Because I in March in March we think of hoops as being related to basketball. Right. What what is hoop? Hoop is a new class of social media app um, that basically links onto another app like Snapchat in an attempt to get you more followers. They're called social discovery apps. Some of the others that are similar are Wink, Yubo, and Monkey. And basically, they create new ways for kids to connect with strangers so that they have more followers. And Hoops creators say it's a way to connect with people who are like-minded in their interests. But the short version is, this is a stranger danger parent's worst nightmare. I mean, it, it just is like, hey, let's sit down and create a way for strangers to intersect with our kids as quickly as possible with the least amount of accountability as possible. And they kind of wash their hands of it because once you connect, it, it takes you back to Snapchat. So you don't actually exchange that information through Hoop, but it's set up to help you connect with people uh, so that you can do that. And the main premise here is people will need more followers to feel better about themselves. So it's a follower accelerator tool. Uh, and that, you know, we could talk for an hour just about the premise even apart from the stranger danger problem that is inherently baked into what hoop is. All right. So um, no hoop. Right. I mean, I just think that's no, just fair to no say hoop. like, right. No, 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 no. Say no, no to hoop. All right. And say no say to no wink to and say no to monkey. What was the other one? Yubo. Why do you spell that? Why you All right. Say no to hoop, wink, monkey, and Yubo. I just think that is probably say no to red and link. I mean, I was a lot of no-nos today. All right. Uh, yep. But a lot of good application in terms of how we bring the gospel to bear in our decision-making related to media. So as always, Adam Holtz, thank you so much for um, watching stuff so I don't have to. We are this here for my, you to do exactly this is, that. This is totally <laughs> what I feel like plugged in, how plugged in is serving me. Thank you for watching stuff so I don't have to and helping me uh, still speak into the conversation to the day. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Carmen. All right, you guys check it out, PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. All right, so next up, um, I have a great, uh, a, a great conversation partner. You may be familiar with Eugene Veith um, because he is the author of more than 20 books on sort of the engagement of culture with the Christian faith. He has a new book out called Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. And so if, you, uh, if you've been asking yourself, all right, now let me, let me think about the passage of time, the way things have changed, and how it is that I could be prepared to 
actually engage the culture today as opposed to being prepared to engage the culture that existed in 1950. Most of our churches are actually preparing Christians for a world that no longer exists, for engagement in a world that no longer exists. And so if I don't understand um, the, the period of history in which I live, I am not going to be effective in engaging that culture with the gospel. So up next, Eugene Veith, uh, he and I are going to talk about this post-Christian guide to contemporary thought and culture. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so every month we give away Bibles here at the Faith Radio Network. And this month we are giving away the Jeremiah Study Bible. It's Dr. David Jeremiah's teaching and notes incorporated into the Word of God to help you better understand the biblical message, Um, what it means, not only what it means for you, but how to integrate it into your life. And so we're giving away one copy of the Jeremiah Study Bible each week of this month. You can enter to win a copy at MyFaithRadio.com. This is Max Licato. You know, the Jesus of many people is small enough to be contained in an aquarium that fits on the cabinet, never causes any trouble, never demands any attention. (laughs) Now, if you want a goldfish bowl of Jesus, you need to steer clear of the real Jesus because he changes everything. Now, he doesn't make you sexy or skinny or clever. He doesn't change what you see in the mirror, but he changes how you see what you see. He will not be silenced, packaged, or predicted. He is the pastor who chased people out of the church. He's the prophet who had a soft spot for crooks and whores. He's the king who washed the grime off the feet of the betrayer, his betrayer. He turned a bread basket into a buffet and a dead friend into a living one. And most of all, he transformed the tomb into a womb out of which was born life, your life. This is Max Lucado. is an author. He's a scholar, uh, professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College. He served as the dean of academic affairs and the provost. He was the culture editor of World Magazine. He's written more than 20 books, and he's here today to discuss his new work, Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture, wherein he outlines the challenges that you and I as Christians have to deal with today. Dr. Veith, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, thanks for having me. So it's a real pleasure um, to talk with you. I am a person who, um, what, maybe 25 years ago, um, was a student of postmodern times, a guide to thought and culture then. So that existed 25 years ago. Could we talk about that book as the prequel to this one or this book, which is post-Christian, a guide to contemporary thought and culture, as a sequel to the one you wrote, I'm thinking, 25 years ago now? Yeah, that's right. I'm glad that your uh, that that book helped you. Uh, yeah, postmodern times uh, I think still holds up in a lot of ways. But people had told me that well, uh, you need to update it. And in trying to update it, I saw what it really needed is a sequel to talk about what has happened since uh, the 1990s when I wrote Postmodern Times. And so this one is a is a is a sequel to it. And uh, I hope it has the same uh, uh, effect in in helping people to see what's happening around them. 
Okay, so if we're going to talk about um, having moved from a time when we would describe things as postmodern to a time when, um, to use your word, we are living in in a post-Christian reality, tell me what, tell me something about the shift from postmodern to post-Christian. Well, I think there, there's, we can still talk about postmodern, but what's happened is that it's gone to new extremes. Uh, back when I wrote Postmodern Times, we were talking about the idea we construct our own truths, and we we're mostly talking about ideas and beliefs. But now people are believing they can construct their own bodies or their own gender. Uh, the body has nothing to do with it. That Even that is too objective. Whatever we choose, whatever gender we choose, that's what it is. And other people have to accept it. The other big difference, uh, it's become politicized. Uh, back in the 90s, postmodernism was very tolerant and easygoing. And you believe what you want to believe. I believe what I choose to believe. But now it's gotten so that the different Thoughts are seen, the different ideas are seen as power games that you have to fight and resist and you have to silence the other side. And it's become a very different mood to it. And then the other big thing is technology. Back in the 90s, I talked about the idea that people believe they can construct their own realities. Now, with the, with the Internet and computer technology, we have virtual reality which is a construction, which is something people make up. And yet today, so many people live in this virtual reality, completely leaving actual reality out. So um, you've you've made mention there of several, actually, of the sections of the book, these big component parts of the book, uh, reality, the body, society, um, and religion. So I'd love for you to kind of tell us what's the arc of the entire book. And then in each of these topic areas, you also um, uh, kind of approach it along an arc. So can you walk through these with us? So what's the arc of the whole book? And then what's the arc um, that you're following on each topic? Well, the title is post-Christian, and that's kind of misleading. That sounds like Christianity is over, but it really isn't. It's about secularism and the attempt to live without Christianity or any transcendent uh, references. But the good news for Christians is that that is failing. People in the secular thought it, it's running into dead ends and contradictions and problems, which open up, I think, a Christian perspective, making it very credible and relevant uh, once more to the overall culture. Uh, there's talk that the next, some of the cutting edge thinkers are saying the next post is going to be post secular. And so people are looking for some kind of transcendent. Uh, perspective. They don't really know what it is, and they don't really even consider Christianity sometimes, but that's a real opening. So the book goes from being post-Christian to the prospect of being post-secular. And so in each of those sections, reality, the body, society, religion, I first talk about how things are today, what the ideas and practices are, then I show the problems that they're running into, and then I show the Christian response to those. And so it's really a very hopeful 
wonderful book, despite its title. And it's shown the arc of the book is from secularism, doing it without religion, to the problems that those attempts are running into, to how Christianity addresses those and is the real solution to them. Absolutely. I mean, I I really I appreciate the um, that approach. I think that there are often times that you know we point out the pepper, right? We 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 -hmm. point out all the problems, um, but we never get to the salt. We never get to you know how as a Christian can I actually engage this? Can I actually be poured out upon this in the culture um, or in conversations today? And so I really appreciate the way you approach this. Yes, you identify the problems in terms of how people are constructing their own reality, um, even a virtual reality, certainly for many people, a delusional reality. Um, but you don't leave us there. You then talk us talk us through how we might actually recover reality. Um, and you do the same uh, in, in part two on the body. I think that that is probably the one um, like it's not going to take people very long to uh, to recognize um, the issues and challenges in that part of the book. When we come back, will you just walk us through part three, which is on society? Because I, I think that this conversation about society without community um, is really illuminating. It's going to really help people understand things about the culture we live in now and why people think the way they think um, and therefore engage the way they engage because this is sort of the critical point in terms of Christian engagement. So I'm talking with Dr. Uh, Eugene Veith. We will be right back. We're talking about his book, Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Uh, Gene Veith, we're talking about his new book, Post-Christian. Um, and let me just say that really this is designed not just to point out the problems of how today's culture views humanity, God, and reality itself, but it really is filled with practical ways that you and I as believers can live out our faith in the midst of a secularist culture um, and, and actually live the faith it, as, a, as a way of recovering reality um, culture, and even, I would say, revival, like, right, even stoking the fires of revival. So, um, so Dr. Veith, let's, uh, let's jump into part three of the book on society. Um, w- walk us through this culture, anti-culture, society without community uh, conversation. Well, back when I wrote the Postmodern Times, the issue was multiculturalism. Uh, the, all cultures have their own sense of reality, and it was really a way to talk about truth is relative. That was the agenda. And and to question Western culture by throwing these other cultures at us. But in reality, what's happened is doing things that have nothing to do with any culture. I mean, no culture in the history of the world has had same-sex marriage, for example. And actual cultures have strong sense of family, community, traditions, moral values, uh, religious sensibility. Again, they're very different, and they're, uh, many are pagan and the like, but there, there's certain universal human needs that can only be satisfied by a culture. But we're trying to live without a culture, and what's taken its place is virtual culture. So there are people who have no 
relationships outside themselves. So we're, we're seeing that people are stopping, you know, going belonging to groups, not just the dropping out of church, they're dropping out of every club and organization and social entity. And this isolating tendency is showing up, <clears throat> showing up in the in the virtual communities of the online world, people are trying to take their need for friends, not by interacting with actual flesh and blood human beings face to face, but with their virtual friends on, on Facebook, social media, people who often they've never even met, and yet those are their friends. Uh, they're belonging to groups and societies on the internet, but not actual communities outside themselves. And so what we have is a really kind of tragic, isolating tendency where people are by themselves trying to satisfy their need for human interaction and for belonging to some place with the internet, which is turning out to be a very vicious kind of environment because people uh, when they interact with people not face-to-face, -face, you can pretend to be someone you're not. You tend to be a lot meaner than you would be face-to-face. -face. And it's a kind of a vicious, negative, sort of isolating tendency. And the best you have tribes, people who think like you do, and then that's your culture. But that, too, is very isolating because it sets you against every other tribe, every other group. And so uh, even our, our life, our political life is not a base based on you know, finding solutions and, and going forward, building consensus and people having the same goals with different ideas how to get there. It becomes just a vicious power conflict between different groups fighting with each other. And that sort of leads us into the conversation about power politics. Um, you also deal with the death of education in this particular part of the book. Again, I'm talking with Dr. Eugene Veith about his new book, Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. Um, thank you for those of you who are texting in, hoping we have copies to give away. We do not, but you can find it um, by, you know, the, the magic of the Googler. Just Google post-Christian guide uh, and, and the name Veith, V-E-I-T-H, and, um, and you will readily find it um, everywhere books are sold. So, Dr. Veith, um, the final portion of the book is on the topic of religion. Um, this notion that there are people who are spiritual but not religious. I mean, that real, the nuns really do have a religion. It's the religion of not having a religion. Um, and then there is this religious but not spiritual. Talk, talk with us about that, um, and, because I thought that was particularly informative. Well, again, one of the needs that people have is for a religion of some kind. Uh, and even the, the, there are very few atheists out there, interestingly, even in this post-Christian secular time. Uh, even the nuns, 72% of them believe in God. Or seventy-eight uh, percent believe in you know New Age stuff, reincarnation and astrology, and so even they they're, they're searching for something bigger. And then some people are trying to create new religions. And again, in the virtual world, you have the phenomena of people thinking that artificial intelligence is going to be the new god, and they're actually structuring 
and planning for religion that the internet will soon acquire all human knowledge and all knowledge of everything, and then it'll attain consciousness, and then it will be in control of everything, and it will be our God, and we need to placate this God. And there's actually attempts uh, in the in Silicon Valley to kind of sketch out and speculate what that would be to worship artificial intelligence. And the thing is, though, the God they're positing is it's a pathetic God. It's not a God of grace, of mercy, of love. And when people are trying to become gods themselves by constructing their own reality, by being their own creators of, the uni of their universe, they're such limited gods and such a, so different from the God uh, revealed in Scripture that I think Christians are going to have a chance that, that people there's a kind of an opening, I think, that Christians can 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 help these people with by showing them who God really is and who really constructed their their real reality and how that's so much better than what we can make up on our own. It really is a book that is um, hopeful, encouraging, and super practical. Uh, so I really want to encourage our listeners to consider. Post-Christian, a guide to contemporary thought and culture. Um, in it, you you don't just get the the identification of the problems and the arc of how we got here, but um, but a, a real practical way to help not only recover reality um, and a theology of the body and the culture today, but actually um, the rebuilding of civilization, and then ultimately, I would say, the advancement of the kingdom purposes in this generation. Um, what Christianity is going to look like after we get over this sort of post-Christian time. So, uh, Dr. Veith, thank you again for paying attention for so long and helping the rest of us have a sense of this this long arc um, in relationship to Christianity and the culture. We appreciate your being with us here today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks. I really enjoyed our talk. Just delightful. We'll be right back. All right, I would be remiss if I didn't ask at some point during the program, where in the Word are you today? Maybe uh, spend a little time in Philippians chapter 4, go back and listen to the conversation I had with Dan DeWitt about that in the first hour of today's show. Um, maybe today spend a little time in John chapter 17. Consider that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for you, prayed for you, past tense, prays for you now um, seated at the right hand of the Father, advocating on your behalf. I mean, maybe that is where you need to be in the Word today. Um, and then let's be sure that we are people who are in Christ, that we are in the Word, the one who is the Word, even as we are in the written Word of God that we find, um, that we receive in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. So where in the Word are you today? I want us to be uh, connected to the vine, growing in Him producing fruits of righteousness by the power of his Holy Spirit, animating our lives in this day. Uh, so I'm praying the news with you, and I will see you right back here on Monday morning. In the meantime, why don't you go to MyFaithRadio.com, grab uh, a podcast of this program or one of our other excellent programs. Uh, go to MyFaithRadio.com, grab a podcast, and share it with somebody else. Be an ambassador of this ministry over the weekend by sharing what we are doing here um, with others, people who might need encouragement in the Word or a way to connect the gospel with the realities of life. That's what we're up to. 
Uh, let us hear from you as well. Send me an email, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.